This is Inside the Apple Studio, the podcast that details the intersection of architecture and Apple and explores how architects and other design professionals use Apple products in the practice of architecture. With your host, architect Neil Pan. Welcome to Inside the Apple Studio. In this special episode, Anthony Frosto Robledo, founder of Architosh, is joining me to talk about the Apple event peak performance from March 8, 2022. Thanks for joining me, Anthony. Thanks for having me. A wonderful time to, to be a Mac user. Absolutely. Well, in addition to some new Macs at the event, Apple showed off an iPad refresh, a new iPhone SE with 5G, and as previously mentioned, an all-new Mac, the first time in, in a number of years we've actually seen like an entirely new Mac, I think since maybe really the Mac Mini, and a standalone studio display. Overall, Anthony, what did you think of the event? I thought it was great. I mean, I, I, my mind is completely focused on the Mac. Um, I mean, obviously, the other devices are wonderful, but I think the Mac Studio is, is a really important departure for, for Apple. Um, I love the fact that it's headless. I don't think the world ultimately responded very well to the iMac Pro in the terms of the segments that could that could adopt it. I know I had one or have one actually still in my practice. Um, it's a wonderful machine, but it has just one screen. And you know the reality is that. People in the AEC market increasingly use dual screen setups. Um, it's just more practical on so many levels. You can outfit your office and put your employees close together. They don't need huge layout spaces anymore because your second monitor is your layout space. And I, I love working that way. I think it's much more efficient. Um, I've been working that way for several years now, and I can't I can't tell you how dramatic a change it has uh, made for me in terms of productivity. So uh, this is a wonderful direction for Apple to go. I completely applaud it. I think it's going to do very well. I think the the M1 Max version of the new Studio Mac will will do very well. I think the Ultra version will also do very well. Um, yeah, that's my that's my quick little take. I'm curious what you feel about it. Well, I'd probably second everything you just said. I agree. The iMac Pro was an odd. It was an odd Mac because it came at the, at a time where it seemed that Apple was kind of abandoning the pro market. And then they had this little Mia culpa and decided, no, no, we're, we're actually, they brought in some write or some uh, tech writers and, and said, no, we're, we're committed to uh, the pro market and we're, you're going to see that. And what we saw was an iMac Pro that I think when it came out in late 2017, the idea behind it was this was going to be the Pro Mac for for everyone. Mm -hmm. And then they realized maybe that wasn't such a great idea for some of the reasons you just said. I mean, I work with a a dual monitor setup, and I think a lot of people in the AEC market, that's just standard. And if you're working from a laptop like I was for a couple of years there... I had a three monitor setup and mm-hmm. Apple didn't really have an offering for that. And then they came out with the Mac pro, but that was just like ridiculously expensive. 
And for, I think for most AAC people, that was just too, too far outside of the price range. And so I think bringing this device in as the studio, Mac, Mac studio, I, I want to say Macintosh studio. I don't know why, but Mac studio just, I'll get used to it, I guess, but it just seems like it's that it's the right machine for the, for this and many other markets. And I think this is a, this is going to be a real big home run for them. Yeah, I do too. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of things changing uh, our industry, the architecture industry that favor, um, this machine at this time. Um, the big, the big one being the, uh, GPU accelerated real-time ray tracing. Um, and it's pretty thrilling to see that the M1 ultra chip actually matches the performance. Um, and someone has already, well, this is what Apple's saying of the, uh, NVIDIA, um, RTX 3090, which is a beast of a card. Um, I happen to have a 3070, uh, in a box workstation in my studio at home. Uh, it's an incredible piece of, uh, hardware, uh, really incredibly fast. Um, the, the reality that you can match that performance for, I think 200 watts less energy is just really, uh, it's game changer. Um, that is a real game changer. And what I love about these, um, uh, these Mac studio machines, um, well, it's just the one machine with the two different processor options, but it's small enough where you can just grab it and go. That, that was something that people kind of did with the 2013 Mac pro, the little, you know, the little trash can Mac. Right. Um, and I've literally been to events, uh, like at the Boston society of architects, you know, CAD industry events, BIM events where people who are guest speaking came in with that, with that Mac, which is considerably bigger, uh, in a little carrying case, it was just, it was totable. Um, this machine is even more totable. It might weigh surprisingly more. I guess the one that has the copper cooling is for the ultra is, is a little heavier, but, uh, it's very totable, which is nice. And mobility is important now. Um, we saw that with the COVID-19 transformation when people had to do remote work. They kind of had to grab their computer and go home. People literally took their workstations home. Uh, companies quickly outfitted people with mobile computers at home. Um, I did. I ran a piece on Architosh a while ago on Flansburg um, uh, in, at a Boston, a big Boston practice. Um, they were already on mobile uh, uh, laptops throughout their practice for the most part. They are an all-Mac shop. And they just simply grabbed their MacBooks and, um, and took them home. And that's how they've been, that's how they were working through the pandemic. So you can imagine if we ever had a future in pandemic, hope we don't, um, you know, grab one of these guys, put it in your bag and go home. Um, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic piece of hardware. And I actually like the aesthetics that Apple's been going with lately. I think, you know, this is, we're post Johnny Ive uh, era. And that, I'm, I'm not sure if you pick up on what people think about that much, but, you know, there is something about the kind of straightforwardness to the Apple aesthetics as they're evolving, too. And I, I could see that as well. Well, adding ports to the front of this machine, I think, is an indication of Johnny Ive didn't have something to do with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a real point. Right. It's practical. There's, there's a kind of Tim Cook kind of practicality that's 
but that you can feel now in the hardware. I'm not sure if it's Tim Cook, but there is certainly something that is uh, that is reminiscent of the kind of uh, straightforwardness that he how he runs the company uh, now, showing in the actual design and aesthetics of the machine. Yeah. So talk a little bit about you mentioned the M1 Max, but this now we have an M1 Ultra that. Apple surprised everyone with, oh, there's a hidden feature of the M1 Max that we can actually pair these two together. And, you know, there there was some hints of this, I think maybe a year or so ago with some rumors. Um, what, what, I think you even wrote about this. Yes, it was German uh, from Bloomberg, Mark. He wrote, um, it wasn't quite a year ago. It was, uh, I think I last wrote about it in October of 2021, and uh, based on everything that, that he had sort of um, uh, shared in his reports for Bloomberg, he spoke about the code names for the Apple Silicon transition, and he, he had four code names: um, Jade C Chop was one, Jade C Die was the next, Jade C Two. Jade2C die was the third, and there was a Jade4C die. And uh, I think uh, in my reporting, I took this in a, in a direction that was ultimately wrong. Um, I thought that Apple would uh, use chiplet, chiplet technology to basically take the original M1 and maybe a bigger version of it and start to basically put it on a silicone uh, a larger silicone die and, and, and approach it the way AMD has been approaching it with their processors. That's not where Apple has gone. Uh, my mistake, I think, was that I had the original M1 chip as part of uh, this four code name scenario, but I, I realize now that that's not probably correct. But we, what we received, uh, what the market has received from Apple um, a few days ago is uh, what I believe is J2C die. Um, and what we're seeing literally is we're seeing uh, two M1 Max chips that are paired together with the uh, Apple Fusion technology. So what do you think is next? Is there a uh, four quad version of this? or cause... I do. I, yeah. I think that's what's next, but I, I don't know how it will work. Um, brilliant the way Apple has done it. Um, first of all, if we back up a little bit and go back to the M1 Pro chip, sure. if you look at that that chip, and if you go to Apple site and you look at all four of them as a family and you zoom into them, uh, at that time, people were writing about this, I wrote about this, the M1 Pro and the M1 Max are sort of, um, they are roughly one half of each other, like the Max you can see the half of the half of the Max in the M1 Pro. Uh, that's very present, and you can people literally overlap them and overlap their photographs to demonstrate that. So, I guess going back to Mark Gurman, the 2C die is versus the Jade C die, where you have Jade 2C die. I believe that's the difference between the M1 Pro, which would be one die. And the two and the two die, uh, Jade, um, a two C die would be. I'm I, I'm sorry, I, I actually I have that wrong. 
I think Chop, I'm sorry, Chop is the, the M1 Pro and M1 Max would then be the JC die. Right. Now, when you get two versions of that, then you have what we have in the Ultra with the interposer uh, between the two. And it's funny because Apple, I believe, has put a little bit of a trick on us because if you look at the original photography, and I have to dig through that to find that, if you look at the original M1 Max chip photography, it doesn't show this bar all the way across, which is the Apple Fusion link, right? Right. Now they're showing. Now they're showing it, um, and they show it with the M1 Max when it's by itself. I don't know why. Uh, and they show, of course, with the Ultra, and that's the linkage between. So they're taking two of these to make the Ultra, um, and uh, that's how we end up with a really large chip that would uh, would be impractical uh, to actually lay out on a wafer uh, and and try to do a runs on a wafer with that size of the actual and that especially that shape. It's like two rectangle. It's like two squares. It's a very tall rectangle. Um, you would end up with like profound waste uh, on the wafer. Now, what I find interesting, though, is that Apple was pretty clear that this was the end of the line for the M1 family of chips. Mm-hmm. So if we do see a quad version of this at some point, it likely will be with an M2, I would assume. Yes, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. And that works out with the timing. I think that that is this is the end that we will. And so what I think is going to happen is what Apple's done has developed a strategy for maximum utilization of a, of a typical wafer. Um, and I'm not, I have no proof that they do it this way, but it seems to me that you could etch onto a wafer the M1 chips into the edges because they're the smallest chips to get the maximum utilization of the real estate of a round wafer mm-hmm. um, and that to let the bigger chips fill in the middle. And if they did that, uh, they would, uh, I think they would be, they would be maximize, maximizing each wafer, wafer uh, run um, and getting the most out of a wafer for a variety of chips. And of course, some of them, when they test them, do not um, have low faults and they, they bend those chips. And and then they'll then they'll configure those with less you know working cores, so you pay less for you know you might get a two cores less or four cores less version of a of a chip. Right. I haven't spent time to look at the Ultra yet in the new Max in the Max Studio and see how Apple is configuring this in terms of of various options, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some lower core options. Yeah, they have two essentially, uh, which. They start with the 64 gig um, and what is it, 48 core, which is essentially a doubling of the max 24 and 32 gig model or or chip. And then they have a second option, which is basically the double of the larger max version, which is 32 and 64, which then jumps to 64 and 128. So those are the two options that they have. Okay. I see. Interesting. Interesting. So the question is, you're right. What what is Jade four C die? Two um, C die. The die. If if die. If Jade C die is the the max. 
and 2C is just doubling that dye to get right. to ultra. Are we quadding to get the next version? And given the timing, it most likely would be the M2, but we don't really know when Apple's going to release. I think it's going to be the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's going to be the machine that's really going to blow up the, blow the market up on some level, I believe. Just right. looking at the performance, yeah, have you, are you aware of the performance comparison of the Ultra to some of the other chips out there? No, I'm, go ahead and talk about it. Yes, for instance, um, some of the more performant and exciting processors lately that would fit into our market would be AMD's Ryzen 9, uh, the 5000 series, particularly the 5950X, which is a 16-core uh, chip. And uh, it has fantastic uh, uh, balance, I would say, between single-threaded uh, processing, multi-threaded processing. And then, of course, uh, Intel's newest Core i9 uh, processor, the 12900K, that's another 16-core chip, and it's currently a kind of reigning champ in single-threaded work. So that's a great, that's a great processor for um, CAD, VIM, modeling. And then, you know, if we want to look at, I think one of the things that I think Tom Hardware um, or Tom's Hardware Guide or something like that I read about the the AMD Ryzen Threadripper 3990X, which is a 64-core monster, and that has a Geekbench score for multi-threaded that's just a little over the M1 uh, Ultra. Uh, it's at 25,133 uh, 25, for the Red Ripper 3990X compared to the Ultra at 24,055. So really, really close scores there. And, and to look at that in a per core level is just incredible because what Apple's doing with 20 cores, they almost match a 64 core Red Ripper is just really astounding. And at a far, far less energy, too. Far less energy. Yeah, yeah, far less energy. Now, what does that mean for architects doing basic CAD work or basic rendering or real-time rendering? How, how does that translate? I think for, it, it only translates when your software is taking advantage in this multi-threaded. And of course, most rendering software is. Um, now, what's beautiful about this is that uh, the new Ultra version um, has phenomenal GPU capability. So whether you are using a GPU accelerated renderer or a CPU accelerated renderer, you're going to get, you, you, you have a chip that can take advantage of both. Um, I think with AAC market, the way it has been evolving with real-time ray tracing. I think the Max um, version or the Ultra version make great options for the AC market. You really don't need the Ultra version um, unless you render all the time. But for the average architect who is working at, say, Rabbit and, and, um, and utilizing one of the many, there's now many tools out there. It could be Enscape, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
this is th- that this machine is going to provide uh, excellent performance. Now, of course, Revit doesn't run on the Mac, so that's not a good example. Um, but maybe ArchiCAD or Vectorworks or another tool. Um, or people sometimes um, will be using a dedicated renderer with various modelers like SketchUp. But as you know, and we've talked about this before, CAD in general and um, 3D modeling in general don't don't take advantage of multi-threading very well. Right. Uh, it's just the math mathematics don't work out very well. It, everything needs to be done in kind of uh, more sequentially. And there again, I think that's where the balance between um, single core and multi-core matters so much. And honestly, before the latest Intel chip, the the Ryzen line, the Ryzen 5000 line, was provided a really excellent balance. Um, so now Intel's latest is also right up there and, and actually better, a little bit better. And these, um, it's nice to see that Apple's ARM-based processors are, are also providing a fairly strong balance, though they'll have to work a little harder, I think, to increase the performance of their um, for their single-threaded work. Because they are now, while they are up there at 1793 in the Geekbench score, which is great, um, that's not where Intel is. Intel's net almost 2,000. Uh, so uh, they're not the reigning champs at that right now, but they're certainly the reigning champs on a power-per-watt basis. What can architecture software vendors do to take advantage of all the power that Apple has in these new Macs and these new chips? You know, there are so many components in CAD and BIM and 3D applications and modeling kernels is a big one. And you may be uh, stymied by a third-party component that has not made the transition to Apple Silicon. Um, some important ones out there that have made that transition include the Parasolid modeling kernel by Siemens, um, Techsoft 3Ds, uh, all their SDKs uh, for CAD industry, or now uh, Apple Silicon Native. Um, and uh, so, if you're using those components to build applications, you're going to be you're going to be ready. And then, of course. Um, you know, you're going to rewrite all your code base for uh, for Apple Silicon for the ARM instruction set. If you use Apple's tools to do that, um, you should be in pretty good shape. And if you've been working already with iOS tools, uh, you know, iOS apps, if you're producing those, you already have, um, you may have some code already ready. You know, if you have tools that are that are for the iPad, for example. What do you think now that we we have these new chips, we have a whole new Mac in the Mac Studio, Apple finally, after almost seven years, after discontinuing their last, what would be considered affordable separate display, they now have a new studio display. What do you think of that? I think that studio display is a welcome departure from the super high-end expensive one. But I still think it costs way too much for, you know, outfitting engineers and architects. The whole AEC industry, I mean, if that's going to be your only screen, maybe the kind of work you would do would warrant that. But again, um, you know, the data that I see out there, the data that vendors like, you know, some of the other hardware vendors share their data with us when we um, release information about GPUs in particular. 
right? Because this is what you're plugging your monitors into. They're saying that the bulk of configurations out there in the CAD industry are dual 2K monitors, uh, dual um, uh, a single 4K paired with a 2K, or just a single 4K. Those are the that's the dominant mix. And if you're if you have a hundred person architectural office, a lot of hardware you're going to try to economize, and you're going to outfit with everyone probably with a dual 2K um, monitor. That would be I mean. If you're doing BIM all day long, why do you need larger than that? Mm -hmm. And that's um, that's not where you would want to put your resources, which are scarce. You want to put scarce resources that yield um, higher economic output. So you're going to put them into your processors. You're going to put them into any maybe your software. You know. So, but I work. And that I work with both a 4K and a 2K uh, setup, and you know the screens to me look the same um, for my work. So I'm not sure why it's worth moving it to 4K uh, or dual 4K. So I think obviously uh, I would. What I love about this move is it's giving people the ability to move off of IMAX in in studios and to move to machines that they can pair with their own displays. And the other thing that's nice about this is that firms might want to lease their machines, lease their hardware so that they can keep tight cycles, like 24 months, 36-month cycles, so they can stay on top of performance. But then they can, they can invest in screens and, and, and keep those for at least two cycles, maybe three cycles. Uh, in other words, possibly the nine years before they change out displays, but at least six. And uh, and um, that I think that's those are those are good economic smart economic decisions to make. Now, what's the average cost of, of my own edification? Because I don't follow it that well. But like a decent 4K or 2K monitor that you might outfit that you're talking about in an in an architectural office. Five hundred, six hundred bucks. Yeah, maybe okay. eight hundred. Depends on the quality and the manufacturer. Right. So you could outfit each workstation, if you will, at roughly a thousand dollars, give or take, uh, for two monitors in comparison to say one of these at sixteen hundred. That's right. Yeah, i I have a I don't know if it's a two K, but I definitely have in the office I'm in right now. There's a four K paired with like a two K, and the one thing that drives me insane is that the pixel density is different. And so as I drag mm-hmm. one uh, window, if you will, across to another, it, it blows up or doubles in size. And uh, mm-hmm. that, that kind of bothers me. So I personally, I'd prefer either 2K on both sides or 4K on both sides. I want them to be the same. No, I, I agree. I totally, I, that's how I work too. I like that better. That's interesting. Yeah. I have an iMac, uh, iMac Pro compared to a 2K monitor. And the iMac's not a 2K monitor. It's a much, it's a bigger resolution. You've got to get your resolution to match. Right, right. Um, and so I think what's beautiful about the Mac Studio is the flexibility and it gives uh, studios across multiple industries. I mean, this, when they committed and they sat down with um, press to tell them that they were serious about the 
professional market. They weren't abandoning it. That people were getting the wrong signal. I think they got great feedback, and I think that be, that for Apple, I think that process um, was significant. That was a significant moment for them when they recommitted to the market because they they then geared up for the market again from almost like a um, from a new perspective, and they spoke to a lot of people. And what they, I think machines are starting to see now uh, descend from those initial conversations and all the conversations that followed. Um, another thing that I think they've realized too is when they, the M1 Mac Mini came out, a lot of people bought it. That was the first M1 machine I bought. And, and the reason why you bought that machine is because it, it, it kicked ass and it, and it was so affordable. And it's such a small little thing. I have mine tucked behind my monitor, so it's actually vertical uh, up against the wall, pinned. And it's 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 very efficient to have um, the machine that's not on the floor, but is everything's up on the desk, uh, and you have the ability to plug, like you said, plugging in the things in the front, your peripherals. It's just easier. So I think that may have played a factor in, and then realizing, you know. People are buying these Mac Minis with the M1 chip in them in probably much larger numbers, and why not give why why not go in that direction and take take that form factor and make it a little bigger, taller, whatever, so you, so you can end up where, where we're at today with the Mac Studio. I think it'd be really curious. I think there's a an opening in Apple's lineup right now where, and I'm kind of surprised they didn't fill it with a Mac mini with an M1 Pro, not the M1 Max, but throw an M1 Pro or make that as an, an option for a higher end Mac mini that might fill the gap between, I mean, that I think that Mac mini is somewhere around $800. So, you know, maybe the Mac mini with an M1 Pro is a thousand or 11 or 1200. And then you can pair that with a couple of 2k or 4k monitors and you probably have got a decent setup for most applications in an architectural office and then for those that need the more power you get the you know m1 max studio model and you're probably good to go and apple gives you quite a few options there i'm surprised they didn't go in that direction or maybe they will they just haven't done it yet i i think they will go in that direction when the new when the chips advance to another process node um, it, it, when they are able to advance another process node, you might be able to um, to accomplish that because of the thermals mm-hmm. uh, as the, the chips shrink. So I could see that happening. You know, one of the things that's awesome about um, the modularity of, of how they are approaching the market is that, and we see this with the phones, is the as a new generation of say phones come along or iPads, the the older technology is often still made available. You can buy the older models at lower at lower cost. So there's this trickle down effect um, where you can economize. Um, and I'm not sure if they're going to do that in the Mac space like that, but they could um, across maybe some product lines that are are higher volume, right? Yeah. So you might we might see M1 chips still powering some devices uh, when we move up to the M2. It's possible we might have a lower end version of a Mac Mini with an M1 chip in it, and, a, and the same exact machine looks the same, perhaps um, 
couple minor cosmetic differences, and it has an M2. And right. So we're going to get a more incremented product line that is smartly deployed using the the scarcity of 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 the chips that they produce. They you can see how they're accomplishing this now. They're rolling out the M1 in 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 more and more iPads. Um, so I I think that's really smart. It enables them to maximize maximize your investment in all this semiconductor uh, work. So Anthony, do you think that with the beginning of the M1, and I think we talked a little bit about this when we spoke the first time, do you think that now that we're seeing a little bit more of the M1 and the Apple Silicon playbook, and now with the introduction of the Apple Studio machine, do you think that the AEC software industry is going to embrace the Mac a little bit more than they have and release software, at least that's compatible with Mac that say wasn't compatible before? Or do you think that the obstacle of bringing their software over to metal is still going to be a barrier when it comes to high-end rendering and other VR types of applications? I actually think that Apple is the initial wedge that's going to cascade a, a big transition in software. I think that um, the industry cannot help but take notice um, that this performance per watt advantage is massive over x86, and in which case we're talking about AMD and Intel. And we already know that Qualcomm acquired Nubia, which was a spin-off of Apple's leading chip architects uh, in 20, what, 18, 2019 when they left with Create Nubia. Mm-hmm. And we know Microsoft is developing uh, ARM-based chips now too. So what we know is that there's going to be a future for Windows on ARM that's bigger than what it is today. It exists today, but it has it's, it hasn't had the processors, um, the competitive processors. And so if ARM continues to advance at the current rate that it's been advancing for years and basically essentially give x86 a very good absolute performance run for its money, not just watt-wise, then I think we're going to see a big transition in the industry uh, to ARM-based chips, and everyone's going to have to rewrite their software. And at that point, if you're rewriting for ARM, say you're rewriting AutoCAD or Revit, let's say Revit to, for ARM, for Windows, you're going to you're going to take the step to make sure it runs on Apple Silicon. Um, why wouldn't you? I mean, this is what's going to. It's just smart to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that's happening, and I think what we're seeing now too is companies like Enscape has announced. That they are, um, they have a Mac version coming for that's Apple Silicon ready. Um, I think they're approaching that in two steps, right? Because you can approach it in a way where you can get on the Mac and it can run through Rosetta, but that's not truly our, um, that's not Apple Silicon native. Right. And then of course, but they're committed. They're committed to a native version. And uh, and when you see machines like this, like the new Ultra chip. Uh, that people are going to take notice. People are going to get these machines and they're going to start demanding uh, that the software is made for them. Yeah. So 
Did you put your order in? Not yet. Not yet? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. Not. I think this will, I think the Ultra may replace my iMac Pro at work. I mean, the iMac was even more money than what the Ultra goes for. Um, like a lot of studios, we lease our machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lease them because we, we want to have a constant um, IT expenditure uh, year to year, month to month. Mm-hmm. And so that we can monitor our budgets. And it's pretty exciting to know that we're actually going to make such a huge jump from an Intel-based $5,000 single monitor machine to a machine that is sans monitor, but um, has a lot more power, a lot, lot more power, and uh, is less money. And I already have one of the 2K monitors um, ready to pair up. I just need to probably get another one or actually one or two more or whatever. But I think, um, you know, when you look at the the progress Apple's making with their chips, I think um, I just, you know, what they said early on initially when at the M1 launch is that they were going to take full advantage of the thermals within each enclosure of their Mac product line with at the silicone level, meaning they would maximize their thermals. Now, when we're talking about Jade 4C die, or we're talking about the last remaining machine, which is the Mac uh, Pro, and there's been rumors that there's two versions of that, right? There's been, a, they said they were going to do a, a full-size version, like the case they have now, and then maybe a smaller version. We may have two machines coming, two more machines that mm-hmm. are fundamentally different. Um, one might be, one might be, I could easily see the, the current um, Mac Studio being a little taller version, right? You could you could imagine that getting like twice as tall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or something maybe a little deeper. Uh, but but what's exciting is to think about is what they're going to do with their full scale tower, because the thermal ca- ca- capacity of a big box like that is so so much larger, and that's where you stick in, you know, where you can get 200 watts in an enclosure like that. Th- this 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 version of the chip, most powerful Mac chip ever, is our, I think it's at 60 watts. Yeah, something like that. Really small. Yeah, that's, that's small potatoes in the grand scheme of things, right? Right. All right. Well, any final thoughts on the event itself or what you're ultimately excited about, what this is going to lead to in the AEC market and for architects in general? Yeah. So, what I'm most excited about is that Apple. Uh, is clearly demonstrating uh, that the ARM architecture uh, has some serious performance legs. And what's exciting about it is that it is actually, uh, I I like that it is highly performant on a lot basis. It gives us greater mobility. It's better for the environment to use less energy. Uh, I love that. Um, It's better for your electric bill at the office or at home. Love all those things. why I like all that so much is it's undergirding a serious transformation change, which should, uh, over this decade, uh, proliferate out and affect the whole market on multiple operating systems like Windows in particular. And that might open up and liberate, democratize a lot of software tools that are in various industries. But if I want to talk about the architecture industry, in particular, democratized tools that haven't been on the Mac yet, right? And we don't need to mention names, but there's 
Uh, I think that's going to make a more interesting market, a more competitive market. Um, it's just going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, definitely a good start to the, the 2020s. Absolutely. At least for Apple. Yeah. It's going to be some exciting times. Yeah. And, you know, just one final thought, you know, NVIDIA was trying to buy ARM. They didn't. Uh, that got basically, they abandoned that. I, I, I think ultimately that's good. I think it gives, uh, they can, NVIDIA can make, start making ARM chips for workstations, PCs, gaming machines, wh- whatever. Um, we may see ARM chips back in the gaming consoles again in a big way. We may uh, see, we're going to see ARM chips in the, in data centers. Um, so, uh, and AMD and Intel can make ARM chips. So there's, there's a lot of room. It's exciting to think about MediaTek too out of Taiwan. And there's so many different players. I love competition because it's, it, you know, sharp competition usually brings a lot of progress and um, that's good for us end users. Yeah. Well, Anthony, thank you for joining me today to talk about this event. And can you let the listeners know where they can find you online to talk to you more about this or to read more of your writing? Sure, you can find uh, the writing at architos.com and uh, on Twitter, uh, Twitter handle of Architosh, and on Facebook and LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn uh, readers group, and we also have an Architosh business page in LinkedIn. So, four different areas um, in terms of social media where people can uh, learn about Architosh and what we what we do and what we write about. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks again uh, to everyone for listening to this special episode of Inside the Apple Studio. Be sure to follow the show in your favorite podcast player by searching for Inside the Apple Studio and tap the follow button. If you like this special episode, let me know. And if you're enjoying Inside the Apple Studio, be sure to leave a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. Inside the Apple Studio is a production of Apple for Architects at appleforarchitects.com.